Hey, Philo community, welcome to the Philo Podcast, where our goal is to help you become more effective as a tech person at your church, as well as just as a regular human being, so that your church can become more effective. And we do that through this podcast, through the Philo Conference, through our book, I Love Jesus, But I Hate Christmas, and the Philo Cohorts. Just a quick update from Philo Land. This past week, we gathered our core team together, or most of them, to celebrate our 2022 Christmas party. You know, the Christmas party that you don't have time for in December, so you have it in January. Anyway, we did that. We had a blast all being together with our spouses and getting to celebrate all that God has done through Philo in 2022, and to also continue dreaming for what's ahead in 2023. Uh, We had a big brainstorming day for the conference, which, by the way, is happening on May 2nd and 3rd in Chicagoland, and we also got to enjoy some really good food and some vision together and laughing a lot, and I love that I get to work closely with some pretty amazing people and that these amazing people, they love you all, the Philo community, and they give of themselves to help make us all better. This was the first time we had our cohort leaders as part of the Philo core team, and it was really a sweet addition to our group. And speaking of Philo cohorts, we have two new cohorts start this past week with Aubrey and Wes leading. You know what it's like when you're one of the only tech people at your church and there's really no one to talk to, no one who really understands what your challenges are? The cohorts have been an amazing connecting spot for church technical artists from around the world. I led a cohort. There was somebody in the group from Hawaii and a couple people in the group from Germany. And while our time zone spread was pretty incredible, our challenges and the things that we were facing was super similar. And regardless of the size of the church or the size of your budget, the challenges are basically the same. And to be able to be honest and transparent with a group of people who get what you do and have experienced something similar, or they're either going through it now or they're on the other side of it, cohorts have been a life-changing experience for me and for many others who have participated. So you can sign up for our waiting list so you can get notified before the general public on the next round of cohorts. I would just encourage you to do that. If you're looking for community and connection and a small group of your peers, Philo Cohorts is an amazing thing. Our other big way of helping you become more effective as a technical artist is through the Philo Conference, which is on May 2nd and 3rd, like I said. We're at Willow Creek Church, which is in the Chicagoland area, and we're in high gear working to make sure that this year's event is all the inspiration, community, and skill development that we can cram into two days. And we've got a few new additions for this year's event that we're working on and that we're excited about, as well as some of the good stuff that you've come to expect from Philo. The reason I'm bringing this up is our super early bird pricing is coming to an end soon. The cheapest tickets you can get between now and February 14th, which is Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's Day. And by the time we gather back for our next podcast episode, the price will be higher. And the difference in price between now and then, I mean, you could use that money to get more mic cables, some gaff tape, maybe even like a huge pile of Swedish fish for the lighting operators on your team. Anyway, save some money, get your tickets now, join us at the Philo Conference on May 2nd and 3rd. And speaking of the Philo Conference this year, for our podcast today, I'm joined by Megan Marshman. If you're one of the fortunate people to have attended Philo in Anaheim back in 2019, you'll remember that she was one of our main session speakers. And she's on the podcast today because we've asked her back to speak at our big event this year in Chicago. So she came to the Philo offices and we had a really great conversation that I hope you'll enjoy. Megan Marshman, welcome. It's so good to be with you all and you as well, man, doing such important things. And I even was uh, noting right when I walked into this office, the beauty of the environment, and then it Hmm. clicked with me what you guys 
all do for a living is creating intentional environments that mm. are distraction free or beautiful because it puts God on display for who he is, which is beautiful. So thanks for having me. Thanks for having yeah. stylish furniture <laughs> yeah. and caring about the things that matter. Nice. Yeah. Thanks for coming. We don't often do the podcast in person. So yeah, it's just great to have you here at our office. We don't get too many visitors. You're one of very few. So thanks yeah. for making the drive out here. Maybe tell us a little bit about who you are and your story, how you ended up where you are. Yes. I ended up doing ministry probably like a lot of you. It just happened. It wasn't something that I pursued, which always makes me laugh when people come and they go like, I I feel called to be a speaker. What should I do? I'm like, don't go my direction because I was going a totally different one. (laughs) And But my direction was, man, unique, probably as unique as all of you, being entrusted with more than I probably should have been at the time, yet had people in my life and God continued to place people Mm. in my life that showed me how to do things well and how to do them humbly. That's probably, I hope, going to be a theme of this conversation because in most ministry contexts, but really in every context in which we work vocationally, the temptation is to think that the goal is to go upward mm. and that that's the goal. And you can look at my life story even and see like, if it's if the goal or success is number of people influenced, yes, from when I started ministry to what I'm doing now, it has had this like upward mobility. But the character part of doing mm. what I'm doing is I feel like God's taking me on a inward journey to seeing more of myself, which actually just takes me (laughs) more aware of myself, which Mm -hmm. makes me more humbled, which makes me more in need of God, which again, Mm -hmm. feels a little bit backwards when we think we're supposed to take off in life and take off Mm -hmm. in ministry. And yet I'm finding that the places that lead me to become more dependent are actually more of the goal. Um, And that's a great concept until you're right in the midst of the humbling, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) I probably could have given you more like, and here's what I did, and then here's what I did, and then here's how that happened, yeah, and then here's yeah, what no, I met. Do you good. want that or yeah, do you want yeah. more of the, I'm up for anything. Yeah, so you're uh, you're a teaching pastor at Willow Creek, uh, and you're probably teaching other places too, I guess. Yes. Yep. So I get to, man, crazy. I get to travel the literal world mm. talking about who God is and partnering with the Holy Spirit to open people's lives mm. so they can be changed Practically, I kind of have, you could say four, if not five part-time jobs that all somehow (laughs) are one when you add up all the hours, but I run retreats at Hume Lake Christian Camps. I work uh, as one of the teaching pastors at Willow Creek. Mm -hmm. I also work at a church really small, not really small, but small enough church in my hometown, Arbor Road Church in Long Beach, California. But there, I basically, when I'm not teaching elsewhere, it's where I attend. Okay. Uh, and then also I run a bunch of women's Bible studies, which I love because um, like some of us, right, you get to do some of the high production stuff where you get to be wildly influential. And then sometimes mm. you get to set up chairs and it turns out that's really healthy for my soul sure. uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be doing that. And then I get to travel around and speak, whether that's at college chapels, which is why I can be here in person because this morning I got to do a Christian university. So nice, chapels yeah. or conferences like Philo and sure. really partnering with organizations I believe in that are. And here's kind of one of the ways I say yes to things and no to other things is, is there a structure within whatever organization is putting this on to disciple people for the mm. long haul, not just for a moment? Yeah. Because, and then number five would be, I'm getting my doctorate in ministry because I want to oh be able to do gosh. it. I want to be able to do it really well. I don't yeah. want to just be like, okay at something. If God's yeah. excellent and I want to showcase him, then I want to be excellent at what I do, which is why I'm getting the doctorate. But back to the traveling piece is I want to, yeah, I don't know. I just want to do it well. Yeah. I'm <laughs> like, you oh, getting a doctor? Yeah, go I ahead. Yeah. I, uh, the reason I want to get the doctorate is because it's in spiritual formation and soul care. I'm talking really fast. Can you handle it? I think that they can. Yeah, yeah. 
I want to know how people actually change. Mm. And so that's why I'm getting my doctorate in that is understanding how do people change? Because we can create a moment that inspires, but that doesn't work for life change in the long haul, which again, the reason a philo is an easy yes for me Mm. to communicate or speak at is because of what you do throughout the Mm. year. So I don't just say yes to an organization because there's numbers. I say yes to they're doing things that come alongside people, partnership with the Holy Spirit, for actual transformation, not just an inspirational moment. Yeah. I was talking to maybe my wife yesterday. We were talking about just how in the megachurch world that I have lived in for a long time and even just how my brain works, you start thinking about numbers and how many people are in small groups. And she was talking about should our small group that we're in split (laughs) and multiply. And my initial reaction was, I think that's a great idea but I also feel like we've turned it into something that it's got to happen fast so yes. that we can have multiplying small groups and yeah. versus like the speed of life is so much more of a journey yes. than yes. not. And yes. so just even hearing you say kind of a little bit, you know, what does success look like? You know, it's not always up and to the right. It's no. it's a process and it's probably a lot longer than a lot of us want Yes, want to think. My mind is racing two things. <laughs> One is a, the topic of numbers. I can I can be persuaded a lot in a lot of things outside of the essentials of faith. But one of those is do numbers matter? Mm-hmm. And I would say yes and no. Yeah. Yeah. No, because that's not our definition of success. Right. Yes, because each number it represents a pure person. Right, right. So yeah. why wouldn't we want massive <laughs> churches? Yeah, yeah. We should all want mega churches not to become a mega church because it's not our definition of success, but because a mega church has more people being influenced by the gospel. Yeah, so yeah. yes, yeah. grow your church, but don't make that about your definition of success. Yeah. And that yeah. leads me to the second thing you made me think of, which is definition of success. I recently was in my small group sitting around the table and we were talking about parenting and the definition of success in parenting. And one gal mm. in particular said, you know, it's really not happy anymore. It used to be. Happiness used to be, because that's, if you're not mindful, that becomes the token definition of success in your family is Mm. happiness. And it's not terrible. It's really not terrible. I mean, look at, watch, (laughs) way better than being sad, which at times I am these days. But I said that all lightly, but it's true. I've gone through difficult things. Yeah, I've gone through difficult things and sad is not bad. But right now I'm not, I'm sitting here talking to you and it's amazing. But (laughs) <laughs> the definition of success in parenting that she said, which was mind-blowing, she said, if my definition is that they might know and depend on the Lord, that's the definition. And I would even argue, not just in parenting, but also in even our churches, if it's that we become people that are more dependent upon the Lord, then that makes the hardest things in our life the best things. Mm. So I can sit before you and tell you that, yes, um, I've been through a lot in the past two years, as mm. with everybody. Mine is just specifically with grief and the loss of my husband, unexpected heart attack, middle of the night, almost two years ago. And I don't even like getting used to saying that. Yeah. And so there's just extreme loss. There's a whole gaping hole in my life that feel, makes environments feel empty when they shouldn't be. And it's not what God intended, right? Death is not what God intended. So, but if my definition of success, even for myself, is to depend on the Lord until I get to see him face to face, then it makes even a some of the worst things in our lives, some of the best things that God can use for intimacy. And so I even, as I sit here today, I don't want to um, come across to you all like, oh, I'm going to give you a bunch of answers that make you really impressed <laughs> either with me or like feeling motivated for your job. Um, I just want to say that in all things, God uses all things to make us more, transform more into his likeness. Mm. 
And because he does that, he'll use all the things that are coming to your mind that have been challenging over the past two years. And if we can just rearrange our definition of success, then we'll see God's purposes in all of it. Some of the harder things in life have a lot of potential for positive life change to happen in each of us. And I'm thinking about just my life as a tech person and all the disappointments that come with that. Yeah. And I, along the way, have had to make choices on how am I going to respond to those disappointments Yes. in order to keep moving forward or backwards or, you know, you know, we have the choice to make on the things happening in our life to trust God or to yeah. trust ourselves. Yeah. I can't imagine losing my spouse and the types of hard choices I would have to make to trust God more. Yeah. There's a psychologist that did the longest term study on trauma. Mm. And it actually is going to bring to mind something that you and I both brought up that I hope um, everyone listening can pay attention to these little details. But what it said was, and the guy wanted to study in a long-term study, why do some people go through hard things or trauma or whether that's little disappointments or big ones? It really was studying some of the bigger ones. But he said, why do some people grow as a result and they become mm. more joyful? Like, how does that happen? Yeah. While some go the opposite direction. Right. Why is that? And they did this long study and his hypothesis was wrong. He thought that it was going to be dependent upon the type of trauma, large, small, whether it's like sexual abuse, whether it's verbal abuse, mm. whether it was like physical abuse. Like he went through all sorts of things. The range was big, small, all of that. And what they found had nothing to do with the type of trauma, the big or smallness of trauma. Mm. What it was, was whether or not they had people, family to share it with, mm. for it to be held with. That was the indicator. Oh, and wow. you and I have both nonchalantly brought up our small groups because that's <laughs> yeah. just a part of our life, which right. makes me wonder, a lot of ministry leaders, especially people that work vocationally for the church, that a, a small group feels like another part of your job. For sure. Yeah. And I think you and I both know in our ministry positions, it's not just part of our job. It's probably the most important part of our lives. Yeah, yeah. Relationship. God wants relationship with us. This is things that we all, of course, know. And we were built for relationship. We've probably all heard the sermons or yeah, at least yeah. typed Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and it's not good for man to be alone yeah. and put it into our uh, pro presenters. I know yeah. we've all done this. <laughs> and yet there's the real question, who knows you? Hmm. Who knows you? And maybe you lead the teams and you wonder like, can they know me? Is it weird for my weakness to be on display? I don't want that. I want them to follow. I want them to trust me when I tell them to do something. Sure. Yet the two of us have both, of course, brought up our small groups. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, just hearing you say like going to a small group feels like one more thing for work. Yes. But I think the mistake that I made for many years was just the not even being in a small group of people that I don't know or that aren't part of my circle already, just people outside of the thing I do every day because I just think, I mean, for a tech person, generally speaking, most of them that I know, myself included, workaholics, love to get work done, probably spending too much time at work. Yeah. And so having a small group of just regular people yeah. gives me the chance to think about something other than the work that needs to get done yeah. or you know, that there are other things in the world happening besides my little yes. corner of it that yeah. I can't stop working at. Yeah, and people with different, yeah, completely different types of conversations and you enter in and what you have to find out is, turns out uh, one of the biggest keys to social settings, if that's something that brings anxiety to you, this was a, <laughs> a phrase that was, it's, it's clever enough sounding to be memorable. It was, be interested more than interesting. Hmm. That is like gold watching walking into social settings. <laughs> yeah. Just be really interested in them and what yeah. they're interested in. 
it like either you're going to walk into a room and wonder like, how am I going to get comfortable? Or you're going to recognize you're not the only one uncomfortable in that room. (laughs) You can actually kill two birds with one stone in one conversation if they become interested in them. Yeah. Yeah. We just finished a rooted study, which comes out of uh, Mariner's Church, wrote it, or part of putting it together. And I was nervous about how our small group was going to do with it, especially sharing our stories. And it was some of the most amazing, rich, relational like we never want to split up because we just love being yeah. together from that, those moments of sharing, you know, vulnerable things. And wow. yeah, I would, I would totally recommend small groups to people now just because of pushing through maybe the anxiety of sharing. Yes. Um, yeah, so worth it. Well, t- tell me about the communities you have through Philo and even like not just in networking. Cause, I mean, there's different types of communities, right? They have the people that they work with. Then they have the small group that might mm-hmm. be people that are different than, than them, which I would highly encourage. Appreciate the technical <laughs> yeah. guy c- caring yeah. for the technical details so you don't lose the vocals yes. on this yeah. uh, podcast. I just was watching it slowly I just I down. just appreciate <laughs> all of what you did. Actually, I want to tell you a weird story about working with the tech team at Hume Lake that okay. I Okay. really love. And I just lost my train of thought <laughs> yeah. with what I was going to say, which was probably gold. Just sorry. For sure. Yeah. No, no, no unquestionably. Here's, yeah. here's the yeah. moment, we did the uh, thank you notes once, you know, the whole Jimmy oh, Fallon, right. like, yeah. and yeah, then the yeah. thank you. And one of my favorite moments I ever did was thank you to the tech guys and the people up there in the booth who think they have all the control, but actually I have all the control. And there's this brilliant moment where they shut off all the mics, all the lights yeah, in yeah. this thank you note moment. <laughs> It was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. That was just a shout out to that. Now back to what we were talking about, small groups, Philo community, oh, not yeah. just in your relationship with people that uh, you work with, also in relationship with people that are different than you, but then yeah. also the uniqueness of what Philo offers. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, a big thing that we actually right now, as we're talking, as we're recording this, we have a group of, we call them Philo cohorts. So just tech people from around the world, really who gather together in a small group. So I think there's seven or eight people oh, wow. uh, that have signed up to, to go through kind of, we have a little curriculum and just, but it's mostly a chance to be in community with people who understand your world. I mean, for most people in our audience, they're the only one at their church or very few people like them. And so nobody really gets them in their context. You know, the senior pastor doesn't really know what the tech person does or what they need or what they're struggling with. But this cohort group is a chance to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. And for seven or eight other people to say, oh yeah, me too. (laughs) And to realize you're not alone, you're not crazy, but these are things we all need to figure out how how to do better. And yeah, so it's been great encouragement and it's amazing to me. I led one group. We had a guy from Hawaii and then people throughout the United States and then two guys in Germany oh, wow. in the same group. So for one person, it was very early and for the two guys in Germany, it was very late. <laughs> yeah. And even I think even one time, one of the guys from Germany was in Turkey. So yes. it was like two hours even more. <laughs> like, are you nuts? But just that we all understood the struggles, the challenges, yeah. didn't matter what our first language was, but Uh, or what our environment was like, we all kind of struggle with similar, you know, similar challenges. Um, So yeah, for me, that's been one of the the best parts about Philo is that, that little group that meets. If people are interested in that, what do they do? Yeah. So you can go to philo.org slash coaching, I think. Uh, We'll get you to the the page. It'll be at the bottom with like a blinking. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Or just, yeah, you can go to philo.org to sign up for the waiting list to find out when the next ones are. But I always go into it a little bit anxious, like how we're going to fill all this time. And 
as the leader, like, can I keep the conversation going? And then usually five minutes in, yes. I'm thinking, I'm just going to have to figure out how to stop the conversation. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's so true. So yesterday was Sunday and you spoke at Willow Creek. And one of the things that I really resonated with your talk was about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, mm-hmm. which is talking about lean not on your own understanding. When oh, you were yeah. talking about it, I was thinking, this is something that as tech people, we we really take pride in, or maybe I'll just talk to myself. <laughs> I take pride in the fact that I know a lot of stuff and I can solve pretty much any problem yeah. given enough time. And that's part of my identity. And so the idea of lean not on my own understanding feels a little bit counter to how I think and operate. And, you know, trusting in God for all the the little details of my life feels like, uh, do I want to do that? Do I want to let go of my own understanding? And there are so many things in reality that are really out of my control as the tech person, but I'm I'm really always grasping on my knowledge and control. Yes. I'm going to go a different direction than I was planning. Perfect. Because it's what got brought to mind. I just finished a book by a guy named Richard Foster on prayer. Okay. And there's two chapters that were interesting to me. One of them was on authoritative prayer, which was just interesting, the power God gave us to like speak at things like darkness. And I was Mm. really intrigued by that one. You should read it. And the second (laughs) one was on intercession. And I, when I started the chapter, I thought, okay, I have friends that are prayer warriors. Mm -hmm. They can't help but want to know what to pray for. And then they're consistently following up because, and the reason I know they follow up so often is because the amount they actually pray for things. Mm. Like I'll give them something. And if someone were to give that to me, like, can you pray for this? I pray in the moment and maybe, maybe one more time. Yeah, yeah. These friends of mine, and I have multiple, pray consistently Mm. and they like go to the Lord consistently. So when I entered into this chapter, I thought I have a lot to learn. In this regard, I Mm -hmm. think I know what intercession is, but there's something I don't know about it because I don't do it. Yeah. And so I started to read the chapter and there was a line, I should have it memorized or I probably will have it memorized soon. But the the concept was, how much do you love your friends? Hmm. And I thought, oh, I love them. And where it kind of drew you was, do you love them just to the capacity that you can love them? Hmm. Intercession is loving them even beyond your capacity. Huh. And I thought, wow. The reason I go that direction on this conversation is how much do you love your church? Mm. We can understand things as a technical artist. Mm-hmm. We can understand things in a lot of different ways, in a lot of aspects of our job. But when it comes to how to disciple the volunteers around you, you can lean on your understanding to teach them what you understand. And basically that's going to be leading to the greatest capacity of you. Hmm. And I don't think they just need you. Hmm. I think they need more of you, more than you. Yeah, yeah. And so I think of things like trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways, submit to him and he'll direct your path. Hmm. And I believe he'd also direct theirs. And so I think about I think we get content with whatever's in our capacity and then we find confidence in ourselves. And that is why when you fail, it's something that you shouldn't fail out. 
you give yourself such a hard time because you're simply limiting yourself to what's within your capacity and your own understanding. Yeah. So when I think about this conversation, mm. part of me wants to jump out of the technical world and say, yes, we should grow. We should be excellent at our jobs. We should have answers to what to do or how to get that presentation or like my mind's jumping to some of the failures I've seen in like the <laughs> yeah. tech world. Like yeah. we should know how to fix that. That shouldn't be the issue yeah. um, because it becomes a distraction, right? So we want to be excellent at our jobs. But there are aspects that we don't understand. And I think because we get used to our job as being so much of understanding that we don't even play in those worlds. We don't yeah. we don't yeah. talk about like understanding what God has for us today because I don't I don't understand that. And I'd rather function just in the world of what, what I, I do yeah. and what I know. And so I just would take this conversation and expand it to yourself. One concept I've been studying is actually by John Calvin, which is somewhat surprising because it seems more of a charismatic concept, but it's not. It's from John Calvin, where he goes, double knowledge is really important. Mm. Knowledge of God, knowledge of self. I tend to want to focus on knowledge of God. I tend to want to focus on knowledge in general. Even yesterday, I got to teach on wisdom, which is not just knowledge, it's knowledge applied. It's the idea of like, knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is applying that knowledge and knowing that you don't put the tomato in the fruit salad. That's <laughs> wisdom versus knowledge. Like that's the difference. It's knowing what to do with knowledge. And I'd say like wisdom is knowing what to do with the knowledge that we have and then knowing what to do when we don't have knowledge on something. So John Calvin talks about double knowledge. He says, it's about knowledge of God and knowledge of self. You have to know both. Mm. And I thought, huh, why? And the reason I was really confused is because I wrote a book like seven years ago called Selfless, how to think less about yourself and more of yourself at the exact same time. I don't even want to think about self because I don't know much about myself. I'm mm. not even all that self-aware at times about like what's really going on in my heart. So then I cover it and then I run to the things that I do know. Like, I don't want to talk about God's plans because I don't know those. So I want to talk about the thing that I do know. And so I'm going to jump to Romans 8, 28 and 29 because that's what I can know, right? That God uses all things for good. And I want to jump to all the passages that I do know. And I think the invitation of this podcast for you, listener, mm. is to jump into places that you don't because what that will do, it will humble you enough that you might become a worshiper. Because I, I worship God when I realize how other he is. And if I simply maintain and hang out in places that I do know, then I will, you all and myself can continue to remain in the back of every worship setting and not engage our heart because we simply hang out with what we do know. Yeah. And I think knowledge of God, knowledge of self is important. And here's what John Calvin gets at. He says, you can't know God until you know yourself. And again, mm. I'm like, please help me with this. So here's a concept. You can know that God is love. And you can know it to a great extent. You can study it. You can see how it demonstrates it on a cross. You can look at all this knowledge about God at being love. But it's not until you look at yourself and you realize, man, I am selfish. You know who I think about all the time? Me. <laughs> you know who I get disappointed in all the time? Others. <laughs> and myself because I have a standard of perfection, right? And yet when you suddenly consider yourself and how often you think about yourself and how you hurt other people with your thoughts, and how disrespectful we are in our minds even mm. toward other people, toward pastors at the church, right? The more you can become aware of yourself and maybe even some of the wretchedness of yourself, here's where it gets surprising. God, who is love, loves you both when you perform excellently at your job, the same, he loves you the same as when you consider yourself in your wretchedness. And I believe your knowledge of your wretchedness, then you study the knowledge of God, your knowledge of God actually expands because you realize it's never been dependent upon you. So the more you know yourself, the more you can know God. So when we get into this knowledge piece, I wonder if we can step into places that we don't actually know, that we might become more knowledgeable. I think knowledge is actually a gift. So I don't want to like mm -hmm. smash knowledge. I think it's going to be a gift. 
But that means we have to actually enter into the places that we don't know. Mm -hmm. And I just have to give a shout out for the phrase, I don't know. (laughs) Because here's the surprise is I don't know is a lot more relatable to the people around you. And if God's goal is that we would connect with other people, I hope we don't just hang out and talk about spaces and conversations that we are knowledgeable about, but we expand our knowledge so that we can expand our knowledge of who God is. And that won't happen until we're aware of self, until we're aware of others, until we enter into spaces that we don't have full confidence, that force us to be more reliant upon God. And Mm. that is my definition of parenting. That is my definition (laughs) of vocation is that I'd become someone that in the trajectory of my life would be humbled enough to know that what I know, I, I can like present what I know. And I'll end with this before I keep on going into a sermon, which you have to cut off, is this. If I say something as a communicator or you say something as a um, leader at your church, if you say something, best case scenario is that they'll understand it. That's like best case scenario. If they say something, this is interesting, they'll remember it. But how do we know? Because anytime you've been in class and then you raise your hand and you say something, you spend the rest of the class either critiquing or being very proud of what you just said, right? (laughs) So if you say something, if they say something, they'll actually remember it. If they discover something, they'll own it and they'll only act on what they own. I think as leaders, our job is not just to tell them things that they can understand. I think it's to take them on a journey that they might discover truth for themselves, know it for themselves so Mm -hmm. that they can own it and therefore live in light of it. A lot of times we pass on information, then we get disappointed, but the truth is we haven't taken them on a journey. We've simply just set them up to be impressed with us. Mm -hmm. And I think that's not enough as leaders. I think God calls us to more. And it means we don't just know ourselves, know what we know. We get to know people. And we allow to take them on a journey. And the truth is, we don't know how to take them on the journey, which makes us more dependent upon God, which is the goal <laughs> the entire time. Yeah. Anyways. And I think that going back to that journey is, it's a process. It takes time. It's not something that happens instantly, like yes. transfer of knowledge. Maybe it could happen in 10 minutes or yeah. an hour or whatever. But like <laughs> or a the, sentence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the process of someone developing, somebody owning something, somebody, whether they're on your team or it's yourself. Yeah, it takes time. Yes. Yes, yes, and it takes humility mm-hmm. because working with people is hard. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> and yet God, I, I almost wonder if part of the Lord's like, I know. Yeah, that's right. Because I work with you. Oh my gosh. I wonder if he's like, I know, yeah. I know, I know that. And actually that's good for you because that's going to make you humble. And my son was humble to the point of death, even death on a cross. Mm. He was humbled. So if you find yourself humbled, I wonder if that's a good thing. Yeah. For sure. This is probably something that applies to all people, not just tech people in the church, but so much of who I am, I derive from what I do. Like it's just hard not to get sucked into how well did I do this weekend or how badly did I do this weekend to define how good am I. Mm -hmm. And so just getting ourselves out of that loop of um, defining our, our identity that way is I think one of the biggest challenges. Um, And for me with with Philo, like I think there's, we do a lot of skill training and trying to resource the technical side of our, you know, of our community uh, because, you know, that's part of what we do and we need to know how to do stuff better. And, you know, anything you're thinking about doing, there's a church out there that's done it already. And, you know, if we can connect those dots, then you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Yes. I love that. Yeah. But the reality is that so much of us, so many of us are living 
a life that's less than I think what God intended. Yeah. We're sucked into the the rhythm of getting stuff done, defining ourselves by, you know, how well did we do instead of, you know, God loves me, as you were saying, whether I did amazing or yeah. whether I did not. Yes. And that's who I am. Yes. And that if I want to live, I mean, just put technology and the church to one side. If I want to live the life that God intended for me to, yeah. we we need to get in touch with that part of where our identity comes from. Yes. And it's really hard because I think we all, uh, given what you just said, my mind immediately went to, isn't it interesting? I think we all just go, oh, I know God loves me. Like that doesn't even like touch our heart. And this right. is where we need humility to open up our heart and go, God, why don't I want to even know that more? Yeah. Why don't I? And I'll just tell you as someone that is, always trying to open up a performance mentality that I carry, right? Mm -hmm. that, that when you stand on these stages, of course, you like, you want to perform well. Whether you stand on the stage or you're behind the stage setting up the first second. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And here's the passage that God keeps reading back to. So this, this is you. This is the journey I want you to go on. It's Ephesians. And it's the breakdown of Ephesians, how Paul writes chapters one, two, and three, and then four, five, and six. And what he does in that is he spends chapters one through three talking about who we are in Christ. And that was a concept I did not understand for a lot of years while I was doing ministry. <laughs> I understood like I've given my life over to Christ. I didn't understand what it meant to be standing in him and how these words could be true of me, that I am blameless, the dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. Because if we look at our past, it's like, are we Yeah, yeah. <laughs> blameless? <laughs> how in the world is that possible? But Paul does an intentional job breaking down. Here's what's true about you, which is the identity we have in Christ. And then the last three chapters, he says, now here's how to live like it's true. And I think mm. he did that order on purpose because he knew that we would want to define ourselves by what we do. He knew that. Like that, I think the Lord even set him up to write that because he knew this exact problem. And so if this is you, rather than me just telling you what God's done in my life through the book of Ephesians, I'd start there. Mm. And look at one, two, and three, because you'll see that this is actually rhythm throughout all of scripture. It's what God does, then followed by how we live in response. It's always that. I mean, Romans is one through 11. Here's what God has done on your behalf through Christ Jesus. Mm. Uh, 12, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. So in view of chapters one through 11, live like it, perform like it, live excellent, do your job well, put, put off sin, put on righteousness. I mean, there's all these things about what to do and that is in the scriptures. But if you don't understand it in context, you'll flip the two and define yourself based on how you're doing. And here's why I want you to go on that journey, listener, is because there is such freedom mm. in working not to receive acceptance but working because you know that you are. And some of you go, yeah, 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 I know that. I wonder if you're living that. Hmm. You might have knowledge. Do you have wisdom to actually live and to perform out of being loved? Or is there a little bit of, of you that wants to find acceptance? If this is just even getting your heart engaged, then I'd take you on the Ephesians journey and going, and then, and then ask the Lord help on this one. Like hmm. I can again, take you through my journey, which maybe we'll do May, <laughs> Philo, 2023. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> to take you on that journey. But I think a lot of us are not living free. I think a lot of us are not working from a place of freedom. We're yeah. working to find it, which is why success feels so good and why you get so discouraged in mm -hmm. your failure. And then we tend to hide and then it becomes a mess and then we explode on our kids. Yeah. And so if you're noticing any of these trends, I wonder if the Lord's trying to get a hold of you 
let him get a hold of you. And what he will do is he'll take you on a downward journey to have more knowledge of self that you might actually grow mm. in knowledge of him. And in doing so, you become even more so of a worshiper yeah. and you'd find so much more freedom in your work. Yeah. One of the things that I think about is that uh, for so many years, I felt like my pastor or my boss or you know the, the organization of the church needed to help get this right for me instead of I, it's my responsibility to do something about this. Yes. And so, yeah, mm. I would just encourage anybody listening. This is don't wait around for someone else to like figure this out for you. It's for you to figure out. Yeah. Um, it's not, no one else can figure this out for you. And as someone that's not a tech artist, if someone who is a technical artist came to me as a pastor and said, help, I'll just tell you this, I'd be shocked for many reasons. Number one, because that word never comes from you. It yeah. always comes from us. Yeah. And so I wonder if God's leading you through this whole conversation, whether it's a help in the direction of him or the humble journey of help in the direction of someone that maybe you even look up to spiritually mm. who can journey with you. And I think your first step is going to be that direction. Yeah, that humbling help question. Yeah. Oh, it will make oh. you look more like Jesus. And turns out everyone <laughs> yeah. needs more of Jesus and God's plan for the world is you. Yeah, Don't miss it. <laughs> Thank you so much for making time. Yes, Great to have you here at the Philo office. And can't wait to see you May 2nd and 3rd. Yes, sir. Uh, Willow Creek Church. It's going to be gonna great. Be good. Yeah. yeah. See you then. One, two, three, four. It was really fun having Megan face-to-face -face in our offices. Just fun to have a conversation, not on Zoom for once. So it was great having her here. It was really cool too at the beginning of our conversation that I realized that she's one of the pastors of my church. She's not just a speaker who comes to our church regularly, but she's invested in our community and I really appreciate the part she plays at my church. And you know what? She had a lot of great nuggets of wisdom here. And in some ways, the best summary of this podcast is just go back and listen to it again. I think that's what I'm gonna do. Anyway, a couple of the things I pulled out, the idea of double knowledge, not just understanding who God is, which is easy for me to neglect. You know, there's lots of other things to be working on that I don't spend a lot of time understanding who God is. But then also understanding myself, which, you know, I don't like being quiet for long enough to know who I really am, frankly. And if I could just get a grasp on this concept of double knowledge, you know, how much better would my life be or your life be if we really understood this more. And then even just talking about Proverbs 3, the lean not on your own understanding. I mean, how often are we doing just that as tech people? Uh, when she was talking about humbling ourselves, for me, ouch. Yeah, I like being the answer person and solving every problem and kind of saving the day. But where does that leave the work of God in my life? And so, yeah, just the idea of humbling ourselves. Yeah, definitely some good stuff here. If you come to the Philo Conference, you'll be able to hear more of Megan. Don't forget, our super early bird pricing is only available through February 14th. You can follow us on social media, at Philo Community on Facebook and Instagram, and you can stay up to date on all things Philo and Philo Conference. So you can also consider subscribing to our newsletter on philo.org or subscribing to this podcast to stay up to date on all the things. And if you're interested in the Philo cohort waiting list, you can go to philo.org slash coaching, and there's a button there for the cohorts. Anyway, it's been great being with you and see you next time.